We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If I ventured in the slipstream. This episode of Inside Golf Podcast is brought to you by RickRunGood.com. RickRunGood.com is the largest fantasy and betting-focused golf database. It has PGA Tour stats, Corn Ferry Tour stats, Euro Tour stats. I was just in Bandon Dunes last week, humble brag. I was really scrambling to figure out who to bet and play in DraftKings this week for the Zozo. Logged on to RickRunGood.com, did some perusing, Create a little model, looked at some player profiles, ran through the cheat sheet, looked at DraftKings ownership, and boom, I was saved. On rickrungoods.com, you can also find two of my premium articles per week from myself where I do very detailed course breakdown of every week's PGA Tour event, a final DraftKings article as well, walking you through my core plays, ownership projections for every range, the weather, and much more, plus thriving Slack channel where you can hit me up for questions at any time. If you love golf, if you love golf betting and playing DraftKings, I would highly recommend giving it a shot. It's like $7 for a week. Play around with it and make sure you use promo code Andy so they know I sent you. All right, coming up on this podcast, Kevin Markham, golf photographer, writer for Destination Golf. Irish Golfer Magazine, The Examiner, uh, and much more. Uh, he is here with me to break down golf in Ireland. We specifically deep dive the number one and two ranked courses in Ireland, Valley Bunyan and Lahinch, two courses that are very near and dear to my heart. So this was an absolute blast, probably the most excited I've ever been to talk about something on the podcast. And Kevin was the perfect person to rein me in and go back and forth on on two places that are very, very, very special to me. So if you have any interest in making the trip to Ireland at some point in your life, I hope this podcast encourages you. Uh, and even if not, and you just love golf discussion, I think you'll really enjoy this one. So without further ado, let's bring on Kevin Markham. All right. Kevin Markham is here. Author golf photographer and writer for 
Destination Golf Guide, Irish Magazine, Irish Golfer Magazine, the Irish Examiner, the IrishGolfBlog.com. Kevin, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, delighted to be on with you, Andy. Um, so I want to give everybody a bit of a background on why I chose you to have this discussion on golf in Ireland with me. So maybe just educate the listeners a little bit uh, about who you are, what you do, your writing, and your photography. Okay, sure thing. Um, back in 2006, 2007, I was uh, worked in marketing, advertising, and I was a copywriter. And then one day I, well, for various reasons I won't go into, I just decided to hop in a camper van, mobile home, and drive around the country for 14 months playing golf. So I visited every single 18-hole golf course, played it, and then wrote a book around, around it, basically rating, reviewing the courses. So that was kind of where I started, and uh, that has led to much bigger things to where, what I'm doing today, which is absolutely fabulous. I'd always done photography, so that was part and parcel of what I did. And had you always been a golfer? Had had golf always kind of been in your DNA from an early age? Yes, indeed. I have a photograph that my mother took of me and my dad down in the depths of County Cork. I was five years old, <laughs> and I'm there with my dad holding a, well, I'm wearing a pair of orange Wellington boots, which may not be the uh, kind of look that I was <laughs> going for, but I was five, so I think it's fair. Uh, what part of Ireland specifically are you from? Well, I'm from Dublin. I live in County Wexford now, but I'm 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 Dublin born and raised. So you're a bit north of where I was. We our home base for the recent trip that I went on was Ballybunion, and we did a bunch in the Ballybunion, Tralee, Lahinch sort of area. Didn't get up north. We wanted to get up north more. It's quite a, I mean, this is the thing is, that, um, you know, I've just been talking to a bunch of Americans who were over here. I met them at Port Marnock. They wanted some photography done. So I met up with them and they had started at Old Head, gone to Waterville, then Adair. Then they had raced over to the East Coast to play Port Marnock. And then they were heading north up to Royal County Dam. It's doable. But one of the things I've always, I guess, struggled with is that these, you know, the Americans who come over are so keen to play as many of these trophy courses as they possibly can. They yeah. don't slow down to enjoy the experience quite enough. And I mean, you know, you've played these courses. I guarantee that you wish that after you played La Hinch once, you were going to play it the next day because you didn't know what was coming up, right? No, 100%. And, and what you're getting at is something that I didn't really realize until the end of the trip, which was, so when I first got there, my mindset was, okay, I want to pack in as much golf as possible. I want to get the full experience. And by the fifth day, we had a, another afternoon round scheduled and our bodies were kind of wiped. We had been doing the, we had a couple of days where we would play Bally Bunyan in the morning and Waterville or Lahinch in the afternoon. So you're basically, yeah, I know all the locals were like, you guys are nuts. So we would basically wake up at six in the morning, play Bally Bunyan or Truly at 7 a.m., grab a really quick lunch, and then drive over for a 2.33 p.m. tea time at Waterville or Lahinch. And the final day, we were like, you know what? let's kind of try and experience some more of the culture just outside of the golf. And we ended up going to the cliffs and spending a afternoon in this, uh, Irish pub in the, um, in the Dingle area. That was, ah, do you, I'm forgetting the name of it 
now, but there's just Dingle was in terms of like the quaintness of that town and it, it completely blew me away. But yeah, I, to me, Irish golf, and I'm sure you can speak on this more. It's so much more about the actual golf, right? There's a real culture around it that I don't think that you really get in America where like we would play Bally Bunyan in the afternoon and then we would go to the railway pub and spend time with all the caddies drinking all night. Right. And I just, I don't think that you get that experience too much in America where there's such a welcoming atmosphere from the Irish people. They really want you to experience all of it and, and enjoy it. And it, it, that was kind of the biggest takeaway I had that blew me away the most. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I think, um, again, I, I, I don't want to, I certainly don't want to speak ill of, of Scottish golf, but I've often been told that if you were to take the two types of links courses in Scotland and in Ireland, a lot of people say what makes the experience in Ireland is the people, the people there, the crack you have, um, and how, and how it's embraced in a different way. It's not just about going onto a golf course and playing around a golf. It's about what embraces around it. I mean, again, you, one of the things that I would always say to people, if you're going to play La Hinch, go out into La Hinch town afterwards because it's it's like an institution. It's just such a part of the experience. It's right on the edge of town. All you got to do is walk a couple of hundred yards. You're right in the middle of really nice town, great pubs and restaurants and people. You want to start with La Hinch? The two main courses that I wanted to focus on the most were Bally Bunyan and Lahinch, because those were kind of the two biggest standouts for me. But talk about your experience with Lahinch a little bit. Give me some background. How many times have you played it? When's the last time you've played it? What would you, how would you describe your relationship to Lahinch? Um, I think Lahinch is, uh, you almost feel like you're part of the culture when you go down there. Yes. Uh, it's a core. I mean, I, you, you, how many times have I played it? Oh, four or five. Um, and probably the last time I played it was just before the Irish Open was there. So that's what, 2000 and 2019, I believe 18 or 19. Yeah. So I was down there just before that. I was supposed to be down there for the actual event, but I couldn't make it. I mean, it, it, it's interesting because to me, when you talk about La Hinch, I almost immediately have to talk about Bally Bunyan because yes. they are such a pair that they sit side by side. You talk about one, you feel you have to talk about the other. And I mean, you know, I know when we were communicating earlier on, I was going, you know, which is your favorite? Or I know you've got a favorite because <laughs> everybody walks away with a favorite. But I think the whole thing with, with, with those two is that you almost can't say which one is a favorite because A, they're different, but B, they are so brilliant in their own way that... Um, I'm almost tempted to say I want you to start with Bally Bunyan, but I but I won't because that would make it too easy. Um, I think La Hinch for me has more history. It, it doesn't, but it feels like it because of the Alistair McKenzie connection. Right. Um, Bally Bunyan doesn't have that. There's this whole thing about who designed Bally Bunyan, which in a way is is a mystery of itself. But when you talk about Alistair McKenzie, you know, the Americans know who McKenzie is. And McKenzie is a word that oh, you only have to say it and people want to go and play that course. And I, you embrace that wholeheartedly at La Hinch. You only have to, I mean, you only have to play the course to understand how his mind works. Now, a lot of that work is, no, is, is sort of no more. It got slightly 
taken over by members of the club over the years who had their own ideas. And then they brought in Martin Hortree and, and, and he sort of, let's say, brought back the McKenzie vibe, which was great because, good grief, it's it's just such an amazing course. You, you want to play what is there and how it is presented. You've got the Klondike and Dell, these two mm. um, iconic holes. And uh, certainly the Dell is just something that everyone will talk about after they've played it. That is old Tom Morris. It's really the only touch of old Tom Morris that still exists. So I think, you know, you you have a course that is so smartly rooted. People talk about the strategy of the course. That comes from such clever routing. Um, right from the start, the routing of the course through the biggest dunes to start with, and then you sort of go slightly inland. And you, I mean, they're still decent-sized dunes, don't get me wrong, but it's just such a perfect rhythm from start to finish. But did you find that when you played it? Oh, 100%. And I mean, just to kind of give some background on what you're talking about, well, Hinch, it's been here, it was originally 1892 by Tom Morris. And then Mackenzie came in, like he did this with a lot of... um on his trip to Australia too, where he kind of came in as a visitor and he did make some dramatic changes in 1927. And I will admit I am a total Mackenzie diehard. I mean, his stuff just works on me. Pasa Tiempo and the Valley Club are two of my top 20 courses I've ever played. Valley Club is like a top seven favorite course for me all time. And La Hinch is another one where almost immediately into the round, really on the first hole, you can immediately tell that you're playing Mackenzie Greens. And you're right. There is such an interesting flow to Lahinch where, you know, Bally Bunyan is such a grand in scale golf course. It's such a big rock star golf course that kind of punches you in the mouth. And Lahinch is hard, don't get me wrong. And it's a tough walk and and there are some really, really difficult holes. There's almost this charming, romantic, quaint, kind of less dramatic. Uh, it feels more inland in a way, probably because it's more unconventional, you know, kind of quirky set of greens that it was such a singular experience uh, to me. You know, you're playing the Klondike hole and the green sits right in front of the rock wall in front of the town. And you actually have people sitting there watching you putt out on that green. And I've never experienced anything like that in America. I've never played golf where I actually felt like, and I think this is why people love St. Andrews as much. And people have said before, Lahinch is kind of the Irish version of St. Andrews, but I've never played golf before where you feel like you're playing golf in the middle of a community. And I think that's why I think that's what is most additive to Lahinch's charm. Uh, definitely. I mean, you know, this is what I was saying about being right on the edge of the town and people do come out and they they do watch. I, it, it's interesting, where you, you know, in, in terms of talking about Bally Bunny being a rock star and things, one of the, if I was to, and I have been asked, you know, what's the difference between the two? And, you know, it's never easy to put your finger on anything in particular, but I would generally say that Bally Bunyan is a second shot course. Mm. So driving is, I mean, obviously driving is always difficult on the links because of the wind, but essentially you can see just about everything that you're playing towards. La Hinch has plenty of hidden 
shots, blind shots. I mean, you know, right from the start, I mean, you're playing the third, you're driving up over a blind ridge. I mean, that, that's an early start for heaven's sake. Never mind a par three where you can't see the green. So you have you have that. And, and at La Hinch, driving is tougher. And part of that comes down to the shapes of the fairways because your bounce can be more unpredictable at La Hinch than it will be at Ballybunion. You only have to look at, I mean, it's actually one of my favourite holes at La Hinch and not one that often gets talked about. It's the ninth. It's, yeah. You've played that par three and you, you're almost at the height, the highest part of the course. And you can see that green and you can see all the fall-offs to the left. And you've got this ridge that just angles right across the fairway. And it, it really does test your manhood in a way by saying, okay, are you going to get over this ridge? Are you going to fly the ridge? Or are you going to hit that ridge and see your ball kick so far left you are never going to see it again? So that happens quite a lot in terms of the bounce. So it's much more difficult. It's more strategic than Ballybunion. And, uh, I mean, that, again, helps you decide which of the two courses you prefer. Because you've got your, and I love the fact that you called it rock star, because Ballybunion is a rock star. But La Hinch requires just that little bit more attention to detail and how you go about playing it. And I, I love that. I think that's what really makes it stand out. I think La Hinch is probably a little bit more divisive, right? I think either you love it or, to be honest with you, I could see some American tourists not loving it, to be honest, especially if you don't have a caddy. Because like you said, there are a lot of blind shots. It's kind of a tough walk. And there are just a lot of holes that are so, and this is why I love it, but there are a lot of holes that are just so un-American that I could see some people who are used to playing Robert Trent Jones and Tom Fazio courses in America be like, this isn't fair. I can't see where I'm going. I don't know where I'm supposed to hit it. Um, and to me, that's the beauty of it. But I've, I've heard this be described before about La Hinch. The, the thing that I love the most about it, the reason why I think it's such a singular golf experience and why it resonated so much with me is a modern architect would never attempt these holes. I mean, legitimately, I don't I don't think that there's a modern architect living in America. Maybe Doak would get a little strange with some of the stuff he does, but I don't really think that there are too many modern architects that would even attempt some of the stuff that's going on at La Hinch. Uh, 100%. I mean, again, Tom Doak obviously has been over in Ireland and he's designed this amazing course up at Rossa Penna, St. Patrick's Links. And he has, to, to me, he's done stuff that 95% of, of golf architects would never dream of doing because the game of golf has changed to being, you know, more accessible and more open. And, and you talk about blind shots, Royal County Down, I mean, sorry, the hints you talk about is being, you know, you either love it or, and complete that sentence as you want, but Royal County Down is the absolute mother of those because you either love it or you hate it. I mean, Jack Nicklaus hated the place because he just couldn't stand all those blind shots. Um, whereas at the Hinch, it's it's not dissimilar. Not as many blind shots. Not as the dunes aren't as big, and and those you know it's not as crazy. But you do have to be so attentive to what is going on around you when you play there. And I guess if you are going to come and play the Hinch, and you're not going to play it twice, take a caddy. Hundred percent. I could. I could not agree with you more. A hundred. It's so necessary. And by the way, they're incredible. I mean, I'm one for one in my experience, but I got so lucky and had 
you know, one of the best caddy experiences that I've had, you know, ever playing golf. Uh, yeah, the, there's kind of, again, this certain amount of pride in, in, in the caddies and, and who they are. Um, just got a, a quick aside and a story for you up in Bell Mullet, where Carn Golf Links is, it's actually my favorite golf course in Ireland. Right. I've, I've heard incredible. It's got a bit of a cult following Carn. I'm so yeah. bummed we didn't make it out there. I heard it's unbelievable. Oh, come back. And um, I was up there in, uh, I think it was May. And because it was sort of the end of uh, college term, all the young guys who usually caddied there, they were away. So there was this uh, former female captain who was 78 years old, and she did two loops caddying that on the day I was there at 78. So, I mean, it's not just about these young guys. I mean, we get an awful lot of the young fellows who come over to America and, and caddy in all the big clubs and they rave about it because they make lots of money and then they come home. I mean, here it's a different vibe because it's, again, part of the experience. And you meet people who just, they just want you to have fun. They're not out to give you, you know, they want you to play really, really well, but they want you to have fun and experience the whole, the whole like, Irishness of playing golf here. I want to talk about some of the standout holes at Lahinch with you. I'm curious, as a photographer, what do you find to be the most photogenic part of the course? I mean, what are what are some of the main the main holes that maybe you get a lot of requests for or that you find yourself drawn to as a photographer? Well, there'd be I probably that that would go two ways. Because as a photographer, you know, being up in June's on the right of the sixth, yes. and you're shooting over out over the green towards the sea and the headland. My, my first thought exactly was that you were going to bring up the sixth. I mean, yeah, you have to start there. I mean, seven is, is is similar. It's right beside the sea. So, I mean, that just brings out the whole drama of the location. And I mean, you know, in terms of people asking what hole do they want, it you know, you'd, you'd pick something like the Dell, um, even Klondike. I mean, Klondike's not so easy to photograph because, as you say, it's, it's right with the wall right behind it. It's really nice. But to be blunt, the row of houses behind, not particularly attractive, let's be honest. <laughs> so, you know, you've got to find a way to try and photograph that in a different way. But obviously, as a photographer, I look at early morning light, late evening light when the shadows are low and it really shows off the shapes of the greens and the, and the shadows on the fairway. And that's one of the beauties of Lahinch, perhaps a little bit above Ballybunion since we're comparing. Um, the fairies have more shape. They show more shadow. You can have an awful lot more fun and you'll find a lot more places to take shots. I guess the other place that I would always lean towards is that par 512th along the estuary. Unbelievable which has, hole. Which yeah. has the old castle ruin in the distance. I want to go back to six really quickly because that was what I wanted to, I, I wanted to get your take on this too. One of the best golf holes I've ever played in my life. I mean, honestly, I think it is for me, from a strategic standpoint, it's everything you want in a golf hole. There is strategy on the tee shot. You have this kind of blind, dramatic tee shot where you can't really bite off more than you can chew. It's, it's not really a driver hole. You can hit anything up to like five, six iron off the tee. And then you walk up through the fairway and you have almost this dramatic reveal where you have this grand kind of opening that leads down to the ocean and that giant ditch with the little bunker at the bottom 
of the giant ditch. And then you get this downhill approach to, you know, maybe the best green, I mean, one of the best green sites on the course framing the ocean. It's three tiered. It's honestly one of the more, let's say, satisfying approach shots that you'll ever hit in your life. And I think that three hole stretch, in my opinion, there's another one on the back nine that I really like, but the three hole stretch of the Klondike as for the Dallas five and paradise is the name of the six hole. I've been very fortunate to play some of the great, great American courses. I put that three hole stretch up against anything I've ever played in my life. I mean, hands down, seriously. Okay. Well, that's not surprising because it's, it is so incredibly unique. I mean, you, you'll never come across another set of holes like that anywhere. And uh, I, I think that just builds builds that thrill. I mean, I, I my my immediate question when you start talking about the six is where did what did you hit off the tee and where did you finish? I hit a four iron off the tee. I pulled it a little bit left into the left rough, but I still had a pretty good lie and a pretty good angle coming into the green to a middle pin. I hit nine iron to the front of the green and pretty comfy two putt par. But, you know, my playing partners came in at different angles. I had one guy going right. Luckily, none of us were in the giant ditch with the with kind of that crazy, hilarious bunker in there. But to me, hitting that approach shot, and I kind of would love to play it again and and see if I could hit the fairway and maybe come in from a bit of a different angle. But to me, that downhill approach shot was probably one of the most fun, you know, maybe the most fun approach of the trip is hitting kind of downhill into that green because it's your first really, well, I guess three a little bit, but it, it feels to me where the course really, you know, you get that first kind of wow ocean vista in the background and a lot of times you'll have a you know a hole with the ocean framing it and the ocean almost takes away in some sense of kind of the strategic value of the hole or what's interesting about the green and to me this green is the star of the show i mean the three-tiered green it's framed beautifully by bunkers um, but I found the greed to be one of the more kind of engaging on the trip. And that's why I think as a completed product, I mean, that's why it's everything, in my opinion, that you want, that you could want in a hole. Yeah, I, I, I don't disagree with you. I mean, I the, the think you're playing off the tee. I've, I mean, obviously I've played it a few times. Um, you could, as you say, you can't really hit driver. Uh, you want to hit driver because the fairway basically moves right, right to left. As you're standing on the tee, you're not hitting down a fairway. You're hitting onto a fairway that's moving sideways. Right. Um, I, again, I mean, you obviously had a caddy. The first time I played it, I didn't, and I had no idea what was up there. And you don't know that enormous hollow is there because, right. and you could reach it with a bunk uh, with a driver. So you oh, end yeah. up serious problems. Being on top and looking down at that green is amazing moment. Um, and then I again. I don't know what kind of wind you were facing, but you're standing there with that ocean behind. And I don't disagree with you either that the ocean almost overwhelms you because there's so, there's so much of it. And it does slightly take away from uh, the actual strategy that you have to employ when you're playing in there, especially with the wind. But 
it's two amazing shots to get to that green. And, and I mean, you say you made a fairly easy two putt par. I mean, imagine being on the very back of that green putting oh, down to good the front luck. Position, you know, what kind of other holes you mentioned ninth as an underrated hole. Are there any other, I have one or two more that I'll go after you that I want to highlight, but, and rightfully so I would say the Klondike and Dell probably get the most praise. Right. But in my opinion, they're about, I don't know, every single other hole on the golf course would be probably close to a signature hole on most other American golf courses. Are there any other holes that you want to highlight or that you think kind of deserve some more praise? Uh, well, I mean, I've, I've always liked seven again, you know, you're, yes. you're, you're going alongside the, the, the beach at this point. I mean, the interesting thing for me with seven and nine is the amount of trouble that you get into if you miss left on both of them. You just, you cannot miss left, you're gone. And very different circumstances, obviously, seven, you're heading down onto the beach. On nine, you're heading back inland. My other favorite holes, I love the par 512. I think it's mm -hmm. a little bit different to kind of almost moves away from the rest of the course. It feels like it's taking you away from the, from the main focus of what Lahinch is. And then, and I guarantee one of the holes you want to mention is 13, because oh, yeah. 13 is just an incredible hole. Short par four, you go, yeah, I'm going to stand up there. I'm going to blast this. I'm going to put this on the green. And if you if you miss, if you miss left or right, it makes that difference. You are in such trouble. It's a beautiful strategic hole. One of the best drivable par fours I've ever seen. Might be the best green on the course. Maybe the most fun hole I've played all trap. It just to describe it to the listeners, the green kind of falls off on all sides. If you play short of the green, which I imagine a lot of people will end up on this hole, you are left with one of the most fun lag putts slash chips that I've ever seen. Now, you could probably get into the argument of, well, what actually makes a truly great drivable par four is that there needs to be a real penalty for missing green side. If you take the aggressive play, there needs to be some decision-making process on the tee shot where there's a trade-off, right? And you can see the benefit of laying up because if there's no benefit of laying up and, you know, penalty for missing close to the green with driver, then it kind of just turns into, you know, a long par three, kind of sort of like the fourth at Brookline where it eliminates some of the strategic value on the tee shot. I'm curious to play this hole again and see if that's a worthy argument here. I'd like to play the hole maybe in a different wind in a stronger wind and lay up and see what that hole looks like with a layup because a fair criticism I could see is you stand on that tee box and maybe there's not enough value in the layoff layup. But again, that doesn't really bother me because it's such an incredible green that even if you just made this a par three on the scorecard, it would want be one of the best par threes I've ever played in my life because the green is, is truly that good. Have you gotten a chance to play that hole in different wins? Because that was the one biggest takeaway that I had is, man, I'd love to try and play this hole a little bit of a different way in a different win because we got it on a pretty calm day. Hmm. I think that's always, I mean, you know, there, there's a prevailing wind. And to be perfectly honest, I couldn't really tell you the winds that I've played it in. Um, 
I know that I, the first time I took driver, it's 267 yards from the white tees. Why wouldn't you take driver? Right. Um, especially when you don't, you know, there's no bunker just sitting right immediately in front of the green, which is kind of what I was almost expecting. Um, so, yeah, the layup, the second time I played, I laid up because, you know, it's, it's a sensible, it's a sensible play. And I was playing for money with the guys I was playing with. So I knew <laughs> what I was doing and the other guys didn't. So if you miss left, you know, you are way down. You've got a really tricky shot back up onto the green. It's beautifully shaped again. And, and again, you, you mentioned the sixth green being a great green and 13 being a great green. They are, they're perfect greens. Um, quite wild. Um, and Really? Wild. You know, a really just perfect Mackenzie hole. You know, seriously, because you think about Mackenzie uh, as a designer, and and I always think of him as such a great designer for drivable par fours. Because to me, a drivable par four is defined by its green. Right? You need to have some unconventionality there. You need to have something wild um, to ha- to make kind of a great drivable four. And he pulls this one off. There's another at the Valley Club that is good like this too, but he pulls this one. I mean, so, so perfectly. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, you, you talk about McKenzie um, and, and obviously when they brought in Hawtree to try and p- regain those McKenzie traits, I mean, he did a fabulous job. So, I mean, the greens, he took the inspiration from what McKenzie had originally done. And, and Hawtree was good at doing that. The green that's there today is, I mean, obviously it's, I don't want to say it's a modern green. It's not a modern green, but it is very much in tune with what Mackenzie liked. And, you know, you only have to look at what has been done to his core. I mean, Augusta, for heaven's sake. But it is a green where you've got to get close with your, I mean, if you're, you're chipping from 50 yards out, you know, which is kind of your layup if you're being sensible. You could play a five iron and be sort of 60 yards from the green. You're then chipping that onto a green that can, again, can push your ball off the left-hand side, even when you're going into, you know, pretty close to the pin. So you've really got to play it sensibly. And I, and that to me, I mean, I, I, I play off eight. My handicap is eight. So I'm expecting to get a ball on the green with a second shot, put it within, you know, 30, 40 feet is what I'm hoping for. And on that hole, on the sixth hole, that means nothing. You know, you can walk off with a four putt. You can find your, you're, you're playing your, your fourth shot from off the green, having been on the green. So those sort of things really appeal to me. I love a golf course that requires you to think so hard with each shot. You can't just stand up bash it on and just go from there and go, well, I'm on the green now. This is an easy two putt. I want to, I want, I want courses that challenge me every step of the way, because I like to think around a golf course every now and again. Sure. You want to go out and you just want to blast one and blast the next one and not worry too much. But the hinge will put manners on you in such a way that after half a dozen holes, your knees will be trembling every time you step up to play a shot. You have to be completely engaged there. I completely agree. I mean, you can't take any holes off. You can't really let your mind wander at all because every single shot, and that's what I love so much more about Irish golf just in general, because I found this to be the case at Ballybunion and Waterville and and Tralee as well. It's so much more of a math equation, right? Like I feel like on American courses, a lot of times I could kind of 
not being super, super engaged in the round and thinking about what I need to do on every single shot and still walk away with some decent scores. Like you'll blink at some of these courses and it's not a tap in bogey, right? You're walking away with six, seven, you know, double, triple on a hole if you're not completely engaged because, and we'll talk about this more because it, it feels a little bit, I thought about this more with, when talking about Bally Bunyan, but a lot of times the margins are so slim at these courses, which is what I personally love the most. I mean, you brought up the ninth as an example of this, but the ground contours uh, in Ireland are, you know, they're a lot more severe than I'm used to playing in America, right? So there are a lot of holes where seemingly what what you would think to be a, a very simple up and down is not going to be rewarded the way that it it would be, right? You have to actually, they're because of the wind and because of all the factors into the equation, there are a lot of times where you can hit two good golf shots or you think you hit two good golf shots and you're still walking away with bogey or double bogey because it's like, no, there were more things that you had to consider. You have to consider using the grounds. You have to run the ball up. It's kind of the antithesis of driving range golf, which is the type of golf that I am the most attracted to. Okay. Well, that's interesting in itself, but yeah, the, the, you're, you're right. You can, you can hit a perfect drive. I mean, I'd say Bally Bunyan more so you hit a perfect drive. It'll be where you want it to be. Right. La Hinch far less so. And I mean, certainly, you know, there are plenty of other links courses around the country where, a perfect drive does not mean a perfect finish. So, you know, all the gather the gathering bunkers, the fact that they're all those kind of swales that just feed off into rough. I mean, there's lots of that at La Hinch. And because obviously the turf is so different, you know, you, you in America, you know, you, you're hitting a wedge 120 yards, the ball just stopped dead. Unless you are a scratch golfer, you know, you come to Ireland and play on a links, that is not going to happen. The ball can bounce 30 yards through the back of the green if you're not paying attention. And you know, the hinge does not give you the hinge does not give you an inch. Yeah, that could be used. That could be used. <laughs> it doesn't because you've just got to be there's no free shot. I mean, even even at Bally Bunyan, you know, you take those par fives, the fourth and the fifth, you can get away with loose shots on those two holes and a couple of other ones too. At the hinge, you don't have such a thing as the free shot. So, you know, you take your eye off the ball for one minute, you know, and you're going to find yourself going into rough or going into some god-awful place where you, you're you not going to come back from with a par. It's just not going to happen. And, you know, you talk about the hint, love, or whatever. And that, to me, is uh, why an awful lot of Americans kind of love it. They love the fact that they are going to get beaten up. Uh, because it is so different to anything they've experienced at home. And if you're doing it with a caddy who's well prepared to make fun of you and have a laugh with you, then, you know, wow, it's just it's just a blast. Um, anything else you want to touch on on Lahinch before we kind of transition to Bally Bunyan? And I'm sure we'll, Lahinch will work its way back into the conversation when we talk about Bally Bunyan. But any other, any anything you think we missed on Lahinch? I want this podcast to be inspiring for people to make this trip, right? So 
Is there anything that we didn't highlight about Lahinch that we should for maybe future prospective visitors? Okay, well, I think the two obvious examples are those two iconic holes, um, the fourth and fifth. Understanding Klondike, which is this pretty short par five, yeah, is you know you, you're actually driving from a tee, the you know the 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 sea and beach are right behind you. You're driving through a trough of dunes, and then you just have this dune in front of you. It doesn't make any sense. You can't understand what is going on. You you don't know where the hole is. You're suddenly standing there, and literally you've got these dunes rising up on your left, on your right, and right in front of you. And you go, okay, where do I go? And fair enough, if you're playing during the summer, there is a guy up on that dune straight ahead who is going to tell you the line. He's got a flag that tells you whether it's safe or not to hit because there are other guys on the green. But it is reachable in two. Um, I've been on that green once in two, which is, you know, on a par five. Most of us are ecstatic at the idea that that's going to happen. There is another way around. You can go around the side, but you know, you don't want to do that. You want to go over the top and have a little blast at glory. And the green is beautiful. It's one of the most natural greens on yes. the course. That, you know, it's, it's, it's really low to the ground. Uh, and, and again, that's one of the things I love about Ballybunion too. So you've just got this, opportunity to to hit this blind shot that can lead to such glory with the wall behind um the green it's very different you you know you talk about never playing holes like it and that is certainly true of, of Klondike you know most people just play a wedge over the top well I don't even know if they could get a wedge far enough over the top but it's just so different I mean it's it's a it's a unique experience and and so individual and then of course you have you have the Dell and I, I'm I imagine a lot of your listeners will have heard of the Dell. Maybe they haven't. It is essentially a blind par three. It is a green that just sits in a bowl of dunes. And you can see a sliver of green, maybe, I don't know, two yards wide, because they've got these two huge dunes that come in from the left and the right. You've got this green that sits right down low with a massive dune going up behind. And you've got a white stone that sits on the dune in the background. That tells you the line to the pin. But again, it's one of those shots where you're given the distance, you got to hit the ball, and you've really got to hit it with confidence and faith because you don't know where it's going to go. And the interesting part about this is that over the years, there have been so many holes in one on that hole because balls can hit the back dune and roll down to the green yeah. and go into the hole. Balls can land on the back dune, be picked up by one of the caddies, thrown into the hole, and well, hey, let's go for a drink. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's kind of notorious and famous at the same time. I hit it to, yeah, I hit it to two feet on that oh, hole. One, nah. yeah, most one of the most memorable golf shots in my life, and I've never had a hold one in my life. Um, and I've been playing golf since I was about seven years old. Um, but the caddy uh, in the group ahead of us made that exact joke. He said, oh my God, you were so close. I was, I almost walked up because I felt like you deserved it. I almost walked up and put the <laughs> ball in the hole, which I, I think that is, that's a thing that a lot of the, the caddies joke about too, is, is the potential for that hole in one, because it's such, such a fun blind shot. And you're right. You kind of have this natural backboard against it. Yeah, absolutely. Brilliant. Let's talk about Bally Bunyan. So 
holes just to give a little background in the course. Bally Bunny, by the way, I think probably more well known than Lahinch, I would say. I mean, this is the number one ranked course in Ireland by Golf Digest. It's ranked in the top, I believe, 15 courses in the world. Holes first appeared here in 1893. You kind of alluded to the mystery of who really designed uh, Bally Bunyan, and it was kind of laid out in 1893 by a bunch of locals. And then, you know, it didn't really get a lot of acclaim. And then in 1927, the course kind of expanded to 18 holes. And that's where today's routing really started to take shape. But it seems like when Tom Simpson came in the thirties was when the course really started to become the course that it is today. And Simpson came in and he issued this six page report where he went hole by hole with his thoughts and recommendations. He made a bunch of changes and he laid out a bunch of ideas, but it was really the locals that executed it, right? It it, is Simpson kind of said, here are some of my thoughts, but it was really the locals that executed it. I'm going to read this quote to you by John Molyneux, who I I found this on Golf Club Atlas, but I I really like this quote about kind of the history of Bally Bunyan to get a sense of how kind of unique the process was here. He And I quote, to attribute the credit for the evolution of the old course to one architect would be invalid. All signs are that everything happened at Bally Bunyan was piecemeal. And you know, the result of that is one of the most unique, magical golf courses that I've ever played. It reminded me of other courses, which I will talk about, but those courses only exist because of Bally Bunyan. So give me a little bit on your kind of relationship and your history with the old course. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
Um, well, somebody I know who uh, is, is very into golf referred to uh, Ballybunion as a rock star golf course. And uh, I think that's, uh, that's a really good description because the dunes are huge. Certainly on the back nine, when you get into them, they're massive. I mean, the first time I played it, I actually played it with a really good friend of mine. He came back from the States to play it. We went out early. We played the old in the morning and the cashin in the afternoon. Uh, and I, I, I don't suppose you played the cashin, did you? We did not. It's actually, what do you think? Be brutally honest. Well, cashin? Yeah. I love it. I love okay. it. I mean, I, I, yeah, people talk about it being a little bit too target golf for a Lynx. Yeah. Uh, maybe that's valid, but it's, uh, again, it's a, it's a different experience to the old, even though the dunes are very similar. Right. But the, I mean, what I love about Ballybunion is how natural it is. Mm. I mean, there is very little. I mean, they, people talk about the, the the natural setting for the green sites. I mean, the, everyone talks about 15 as a par three. It's it's probably in the top three toughest par threes in the country. Yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm doing an article at the moment, actually, on the top 50 toughest par threes. And that is in the top three. Nobody talks about the 12th, which is similarly incredibly difficult par three. Such You've a got good the 15th, you are standing on a high tee, that green is down well below you. I mean, in a way, look at the sixth at the hinge, and it's just 200 and something yards, and there is, there's just no bailout. If you don't hit the green, you, you're in awful rough, you're in a hollow short of the green, or you're in a bunker, which is probably the safest place to be. The thing I, the thing that's really cool about this is that from the red tees, it's a par four. Where are you hitting your drive if you're playing it as a par four? There's just nowhere to go. And then the 12th is the complete, well, yeah, it's the opposite. You're playing from a low tee up to a high green. You can't see the putting surface. There's just this green sort of sitting up on a dune top in the distance. And it's just such an incredibly difficult hole. Realistically, I would say Ballybunion, I mean, people talk about Tralee and say Tralee have got, has got the best set of par threes in the country. I don't disagree with that. They are absolutely sensational. But Ballybunion has got three of the toughest par threes you will ever play. Because it, combined with the third, which is also 200 and something yards or roughly 200 yards, by they the way, are, the eighth too. I mean, I know it's short, but think about how slim the margins are on eight yeah. too. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I don't even, hold on. I've got the card here. Let me just have a quick look at the index because I mean, these are the thing. These things really amuse me when you see a, a hole that says it's index 18. Yeah, it's 16, index 16 for a par three that, you know, that's pretty standard, but it is extremely tricky to, to find that little surface. So the, the dunes at Valley Bunyan, one of the, intriguing aspects obviously is that most of them run most dune systems run parallel to the sea uh bally bunyan they don't they do have some that run parallel but a lot of them are actually at right angles to it when you think about going up the 16th and then back down the 17th those dunes are directly going out to sea which is unusual so i mean working the the designers let's just call them a general term all the people over the years who've designed there including tom watson have just had these amazing dunes to work with which have offered these incredible dune sites or green sites and they are amazingly natural green sites and that is why the it is a second shot course 
the driving is I, I, I love driving the ball. That's probably the strongest part of my game. So, I mean, I, I love hitting fairways. It's absolutely brilliant. But when you're playing into greens like you do at Ballybunion, that's where the value comes from. That's where your strategy has to come in to hit those greens. I mean, you, you look at uh, the 10th, um, mm. sorry, not the 10th, the, the ninth. ninth. Oh that, my that, gosh. That is like yeah. it's on a precipice. It's absolutely phenomenal. And the, and the same with the sixth. You just, you, you know, you miss by, miss by an inch and you're suddenly 20 yards away um, and hitting back up to a green above you. So you've got these ama- amazing terrain that is being turned into a golf course that is so natural and it's intimidating. I think that's the the thing yeah. about Bally Bunyan and La Hinch is Bally Bunyan has a, a greater intimidation factor, even though I would say La Hinch is a tougher course to play. Really well said. I completely agree. There's something grander in scale about Bally Bunyan than La Hinch. La Hinch is tough and hard, but it's tough and hard in a quirky and unconventional way. Whereas Bally Bunyan is just a big mean golf course with some really just like big stout long par fours i mean think about two seven nine i mean all these longer these longer par fours that you have kind of just to right out of the gates that kind of punch you in the mouth and that's why i kind of want to talk about the routing of this course with you a little bit more i think the biggest criticism that you will hear of this course is that the opening five holes are weak, um, which I think is somewhat fair. That's the same criticism of, you know, that one of my favorite courses in America, the Creek gets as well, where the opening stretch is a little bit forgettable. It's not on, you know, maybe as interesting of a piece of land, um, even though I think the second hole is incredible. What do you think about that criticism? Do you, do you find that to be fair? Because you read online with some of you know the message boards and stuff like that, and that seems to be the biggest knock on Bally Bunyan is that those first five holes are detract a little bit from the overall product. Uh, I okay. I think yes, it's probably fair. No, I don't agree with it. Yeah, uh, I'm with you. But, I mean. I think the first hole is is a lovely opening hole. Um, Wonderful, gentle handshake with the graveyard yeah. right. I mean, it's phenomenal. Yeah, and I think the second is one of the best holes on the course, but nobody ever talks about it um, no. because it's part of that opening stretch. I mean, even the third is a great par three, but because it's followed by four and five, um, you know, these two back-to-back par fives, you, 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 if you don't make a birdie on on four, you know, you have missed a huge opportunity because that is the easiest hole to play. It's not very interesting, and five's not very interesting. But they're at, but that's because you're comparing them to what comes afterwards. They are, you know, you, you walk over those fairways, you're up and you're down and you're sideways. It's just that it's not as big and dramatic as what comes later. So you kind of, I, I think most golfers, wherever they play, no matter how well they have played, they will still turn around and go, you know what, it was brilliant, but. And they want to find something to put behind that butt. And at the end of the day, and um, at, at Ballybunion, that's going to be four and five every time. Yeah. And, you know, the part of the reason why I think it's so good is, you know, you look at how the holes kind of flow together. You kind of notice where 
you never really like have the same shot two holes in a row, right? You like, for example, you know, you have this big dramatic uphill approach on number two to a very like small target for how long of an approach you probably have in. I think I had six or seven iron in on every single day to a pretty small perched up green that falls off on all sides. And then you go right into three and you have this downhill approach where you kind of have to use the ground and land it short. You contrast that with number two, where you have to hit this high shot where you have to land it on the green. And then you walk over to the third tee and it's, you have to play a completely, completely different shot on your next, on your next hole. So you're, you're kind of always on your toe. 11 into 12 is another good example, right? Where you have this downhill approach at 11 directly followed by an uphill approach at 12 downhill approach at 15 directly followed by an uphill approach at 16. You're just very seldom getting that variety on American golf courses where you're kind of on your toes on every single shot. And I think the way that Bally Bunyan contrasts the different shots that you have to hit, that is what's so engaging to me about the course, right? Is you are hitting such a different shot on two than you are on three. And there's examples of that on nearly every hole in the course, which is why I think the routing kind of, it, it's such a perfectly routed course, in my opinion. Uh, no question. And that's one of the things that it, it's so it's so praised for. I mean, it, just what you were saying there about 15 going down and 16 going up. Well, let's go back a little bit because the, the hole before that, 14, 14 right. and 15 back-to-back par threes. 14, you're going up, and up. 15 par three, you're going down. 16, yeah. par five, going up. 17, par four, going down. 18, going par up. four. <laughs> I mean, you, you, you try and say that to someone, and they're going, well, that sounds a bit boring. It's like, okay, hold on a second. Here. <laughs> Any idea what you're looking at here? Because this is going through the dunes in different angles and different shapes. The wind's going to hit you from different places. Um, you know, you've got the different... The, the two par threes there, back to back. I mean, you've got one which is pretty much, I don't know, what is it, nine iron, um, yeah. eight iron wedge. I'm not even sure. It's a short par three. And then you've got this monster hole hitting down towards the sea. The, the wind is usually coming in from the left, but I'm not sure if it's in your face or behind you, probably into your face. So you're hitting this amazing, amazing long shot. I actually talked to someone the other day and we were talking about it. He's played it once and he made, he made a hole in one in that hole. Oh my god. So gosh. I mean, you know, that's some memory. But you have um this is the beauty of the dunes that I was saying, with some being some being <clears throat> parallel and some being perpendicular. It changes the nature of the hole and the course, the layout, how you play it. You're not just going in one direction, which a lot of the I mean, you think about traditional Scottish links golf courses, you played out you played back. So you were nine holes in the same direction, nine holes coming back. At Ballybunion, you have, I think, four and five going the same direction. And again, you know, you talk about the shot values, pretty much a big drive and a big second. So it's pretty, they're kind of back-to-back holes where you're playing the same strategy. That, again, is probably one of the reasons what they're, they're picked on, shall we say. Um, and then only... 13 and 14 would be in the same direction again after that. Everything else just shifts into a different direction. You've got the wind to contend with. 
And um, and then, well, you get to the 11th hole, which is, well, mm. one of the absolute best. We'll get there in a second. I want to talk about the stretch right after. I want to talk about that 6 through 11 stretch before we get to 11. I would say that 6 is probably the hole that grew on me. The mo- I, We were very fortunate to play Bally Bunyan three times in five days. And that was six was the hole that grew on me the most, by the way, incredible sausage rolls in that little halfway <laughs> house, uh, just yep. truly, truly a must if you're playing, but six might be the best green on the course. I mean, every architect should study this green. It's the only hole on the course where there's less than 10 feet of elevation change from T to green. So from a topography standpoint, it's one of the more least dramatic holes on the course. And yet it, in my opinion, is one of the best holes on the course. And that's because of the dramatic runoffs with the green. The margins are so incredibly slim that it's kind of borderline frustrating. So I could see some people really not liking this green. It's really easy to hit two good shots on this hole and walk away with double, especially, you know, if it's firm and windy, I bet you there's some people that think the runoffs are too severe. I would disagree. I don't think that this is the type of green that you could have on a long par four. I think it's the type of green that you need to have on a hole shorter than 400 yards. You need to be approaching this green with a wedge, but the six was the first hole to me on the course. I mean, you, two kind of knocks your socks off a little bit too, but six was the first hole on the course where I was like, oh man, I could play this hole a hundred times and still maybe not figure it out. By the third time I finally started, the third time I think was the only time I hit the green with a wedge. And it's just one of those holes where it really sneaks up on you in terms of just the strategic value on it, despite it not really being on the most dramatic land on the course. Well, it's the it's the furthest hole from the clubhouse, so you're you're really close to the town. Yes, it's it's the the piece of land is probably the least interesting of all the holes there. Um, the green is long, narrow, uh, as you say. The fall offs are wicked on either side. Wicked. And, uh, <laughs> I don't think I have ever hit a wedge into that green. I have always tried to go the low route, so like a little punchy eight and try and land it on. And, you know, if you are not in the dead center of that green or your ball is not going dead straight as it comes in, any kind of turn on the ball is taking you. I I am always on the left-hand side, down in that hollow, cursing my luck and cursing the course because you you feel you've, I mean, there was one time I had a beautiful drive and I thought, oh, this is just a little punchy eight iron from here, straight into the middle of the green. Of course, it, I draw the ball, had a little bit of spin on it, and off it went down into that hollow, and I walked off with a bogey. You know, it's a, yeah, it's cruel. And I, I, I do know what you mean. If you're going to have a green like that, it's got to be a short par four, 370 yards. So, I mean, it's, it's not too big, and it's a dog leg, so you get the extra benefit of that. And then you have seven, which is kind of the first hole where you're really kind of exposed to the ocean. What what would you say is a more photographed hole, seven or eleven? I think eleven, partly because of the obviously the fame of it. 
Right. Um, I personally, 11 and 15 are the two holes that, that I would just spend all day photographing. Seven is kind of, I mean, to, to, from a photographer's point of view, I would want to be up in the dune behind the green. And that right. then just leaves you with some, some houses on the right-hand side that can just get interfere with the shot. So uh, it doesn't give you the true beauty of the hole from up there. But yeah, down by the tee, you're too low. I think uh, this little stretch here where you play seven, which is kind of the first time you're really right there in the dunes close to the ocean. And then you go into eight, which is just, I mean, the short little par three that I already mentioned, it's this hole is education on why short grass is so important in strategic architecture, because you have this little green here and you get the runoffs. Once again, the green's only 3,200 square feet. It's the smallest green on the course. And similar to six, the margins are just so slim on this hole when the wind is blowing on this one. I mean, good luck. There's just, there's no place to hide. And then you come into nine, which you're going back a little bit. You're farther away back from the ocean now, but insanely cool green. I mean, I love a good false front and it's kind of this little stretch is really when you start to say to yourself, because it kicked my ass the first time, but this little stretch of, you know, six through nine to close the front nine is really the first time in the trip that I had where I was like, all right, you know what? This is like, this is so anti-target golf. This is so opposite of if I'm going to have any success on these holes, if I'm ever going to figure out a way to shoot a score on this course, you have to change you have to drop all of your preconceived notions about how to hit golf shots, right? And so you have nine where the putting surface, it basically starts at the fairway level. And then you've got this dramatic false front. And then the back two thirds of the green is a plateau. You know, the green's only 5,500 square feet, but only 3,600 of it can actually be used for pin location. So, you know, when you think about it that way, it's actually one of the smallest greens on the course. And again, it took me three times before I finally figured out how to play this hole. But to me, that six through nine-ish, and we'll talk about 10 and 11 too coming up, but what kind of sticks out to you in that stretch? Well, I think the par three eighth is obviously a, exactly as you describe, it's a perfect short par three. Um, the core, Bally Bunyan does kind of kick off from the sixth hole. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's because any momentum that you gain on the second and third kind of is lost by four and five. And again, I'm, I'm keen to express that I actually really like those holes. But Bally Bunyan starts on six. Seven is perfect because no matter what shape you have with your drive, you're standing on a tee box and, and basically everything just falls down to the beach and the ocean to your right and you're you're hitting parallel to that so your fade is going out if you if you draw the ball and you're you're hitting out over the beach to start it's uh it's a it's an intimidating shot and i that's a beautiful hole and uh, the ninth there's a there's a famous irish writer called ivan morris and uh, he's a mad passionate golfer he's very good he played a lot of you know top level amateur stuff and he said the, the way he plays the ninth he basically plays it so he is always short of that ninth green. He mm. never goes after the green 
because the penalty for missing is so severe. Oh yeah. Chip on. Take your medicine. Yeah. Take the false run out. Maybe you're going to have a nice putt for par. And if you get a bogey, take it and walk off. I have, I still haven't figured out 10 after playing it three times. I mean, it's a very, the first time I played it, I hit driver downwind and that did not work out for me at all. It's a very squeamish hole. The first time you play it, I would say, you know, there's absolutely, yeah, it depends on the wind, obviously. Um, but there's no aiming marks. The tee shot is completely blind once you get past the hill. And then you kind of open up to this really large green. You know, the front pin is pretty brutal unless you're kind of into the wind, I guess I would say. But that is kind of as, I guess, as close to a drivable four as you get at Bally Bunyan. And I wouldn't even call it really a true drivable four, even though I could no. probably get there with driver if it's downwind that is the type of hole which i love where i look at it on the scorecard and i play it the first time and it's downwind and i know that i can get there with driver and immediately it's just like that was a really dumb decision you can't do that right and and that's what i love so much about these holes is that you know if you're playing it for one time if you can only play it one time I could see how people would be frustrated about it, but the 10th, in my opinion, was the type of hole where on second and third and fourth viewing of it, it really rewards you. And that's just a theme of the golf courses that I played in Ireland overall is it's just like the more that you play it, the more you kind of get an understanding of how to play it. Uh, Yeah. Uh, And and, and that's my point earlier on. I made that about you're coming to Ireland, play, play La Hinge. And then play it again because you learn so much on your first time. Bally Bunyan is 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 less like that than than the Hinch, but certainly the tenth is a perfect example. Personally, for ten, I would hit a five iron and play to the left hand side. Yeah. Now, not many people would do that from the tee on having never played it before. They probably go, "Hey, it's a short par four. Out with the driver, boom!" And they're you know they may never see the ball again. <laughs> There's a lot of trouble in that hollow short of the green. So I think when you're playing something with that kind of a blind or semi-blind shot and it's a short par four, you don't and you don't need to hit driver. You can hit a five iron and a seven iron. Why not play the sensible chip? Why not make it the easy route to the green? And with such a large green, it's probably too large, to be honest. Right. Um, I would rather see it being a smaller green on a short par four like that, but it's, you know, you're heading out to see it's a lovely second shot. And and Lord knows if you, if you're going to hit the ball onto a green, why not do it there? All right, let's get to the, let's do it. Let's have the 11 conversation. Is this, if you could choose one hole to be the mascot of Ireland, is this it? Is it 11 at Bally Bunyan? Probably. Yeah. Probably. I mean, there's, Maybe one at Port Rush, maybe one at Royal County Down, uh, but yeah, yeah, probably. I mean, the the first time I played it was this friend, as I say, this friend had come over from America. He stood on the eleventh tee. He plays off eighteen, nineteen. He had played great golf. I mean, you know, he had come back to Ireland the day before. He was playing great golf, and he stood on the eleventh tee, and he goes. 
Kev, I haven't lost a ball yet. <laughs> and you just look at him and you go, you poor sucker. Oh, and he hits two <laughs> balls straight out to sea, never seen again. And he just hangs his head in shame. Because if you're going to play, if you want to play one hole well at Ballybunion, you want it to be 11. It's just nothing like it. It's parallel to the sea. It just drops down in a series of sort of steps down through the dunes. And then you've got this green below you on sort of, again, with pincer dunes coming in from the left and the right, like little sentries just trying to stop that ball if you're a bit off target. And it's just a classic hole. It, uh, I think it's up there with, have you been over to, have you gotten to play some of like the, uh, abandoned dunes, pebble beach and any, any of those kind of oceanside courses in America? I have played one course in America and it was the California club. That was it. That's a, that's a pretty good one. (laughs) Certainly is. That's a, yeah, that's a pretty good one to have under your belt. But, you know, this is to me, you know, it's up there with eight at pebble one of the most dramatic approach shots you'll ever have in your life. Again, you know, I say this more about Lahanch, but this is another one where I don't know if many modern architects would, you know, really have like the guts to create a hole like this with kind of the split fairways and the way that the dunes are used and kind of alluded to this a little bit, uh, at the beginning, but, uh, Bunyan is a golf course that helps you understand other golf courses, right? So I've been to Bandon Dunes before. I'm going back to Bandon in about three weeks time. And you play a course like Pacific Dunes. And the first time I played Pacific Dunes, I said, wow, this is such a singular experience. You know, this is, I've played nothing like this ever before. The way that the land is used close to the ocean, the quirkiness of the back nine, where I think at Pacific Dunes, it goes like, three, three, five, three, four, three. And it's like, oh my God, I've never played a back nine before like that. And then you play Bally Bunyan and it's like, oh, this all makes sense. I <laughs> totally understand this now. And, and it's really true, right? I mean, you could see, and I'm not breaking any news here. You know, Doke has talked about his influences before and how much he loves places like this. But to me, this is a course and, and a hole that really helps you kind of understand a lot of the American seaside courses and what they were kind of going for in the last 20 to 40 years. Yeah. And uh, no doubt will influence many more. I mean, you know, I know Tom Doak talked about the, the, the effect that St. Andrews had on him and that anyone who calls himself an architect needs to go and study St. Andrews. There are elements of that with some of Ballybunion too. Right. Um, and that 11th hole does inform an awful lot of what has been created in the States. So I, I think it's a, it's a terrifying hole to play, but it is also one of the most beautiful. You know, what you see from the tee, um, the fact that you have these steps that sort of just flow down through the dunes and you can, it's almost like you have to pick a step that you want to be on to play your shot. You can go mad with the driver, but maybe that's not the right play. I've, I've always believed that when you stand on a tee, if you just go, it's a driver hole, that's fine. But if you got that for 14 holes, you know, you got your four par threes. If you do that 14 times and you're never questioning what club is in your hand other than driver, that's not much of a design. 
because there isn't enough strategy to stop you doing that. Bally Bunyan and Lahinch and pretty much any links in Ireland, you get step up onto a par four or par five even, and you just go driver. If you're just doing that, then you aren't paying attention. And uh, the 11th hole is an absolute, is masterclass in that. Then you kind of get this interesting stretch where you go 12, we've alluded to it already. One of the best, you know, uphill par threes I've ever played in my life. 13 is kind of like an interesting par five where you come to 13 and I would imagine you're probably a little bit worn out. I mean, there's like zero respite from six to 12. Any par on that stretch is good. And then you kind of come to 13, which is a great par five, you know, and if it's downwind, you could really score on that hole. I mean, I had driver wedge downwind one of the days too, um, but it's still anything but straightforward, really tough, engaging green on that course. And then you mentioned those two back-to-back par threes of 14 and 15. What kind of anything stand out to you on that little 12 through 15 stretch before we briefly touch on the finishers? Well, I mean, I love the 12th um, because it's so tough, because it's so different. I mean, I would never be a fan of par threes with greens above above you because you can't see the putting surface. But yet some of my favorites end up being par threes with greens above you. It's such a tough hole to follow the 11th. It's such a different shot you've suddenly got to play. I, 13 is a fine par five. I mean, if you're hitting with a driver and a wedge, wow, I'm I, that just blows me away <laughs> because coming into that green is not easy. It's a well-defended oh, no. green. Um, and then, the, well, you know, I could talk about the, the par three 15th for a while because I just think it's such an amazing hole. You know, I've been I've been on that green in one with a three iron and four putted it. So you know, just because you're on the green doesn't mean anything. You know, it's 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 tough. Sixteen is interesting to me. I mean, again, it might be like I walked away and I was like, ah, that might be my least favorite hole on the course. And it's not because it's a bad hole. It's actually very similar to, I think it's 12 at Trulli, but better, right? Like where you have this par five, where you're kind of playing up through dunes to the green, right? You remember, you know, the green, I'm t- the par five I'm talking about at Trulli? Uh, 11. 11. Yeah. 11 at, at Trulli. Um, I just need to play this hole 10 more times to figure out what the hell I'm supposed to do. The tee shot kind of confuses me. I didn't know what club to hit. I mean, this is one where I feel like I would almost push back on you on the second shot course thing. This is one of like the true holes where I feel like the drive a lot, well, the approach shot too, but the drive really defines the this hole for me and how much you want to cut off on that corner. Um, but you're thinking on the tee shot, you're thinking on the approach shot. It's just a really bold hole. Um, and then you get to 17, which I think is, you know, maybe my favorite green site on the course. You have this such a beautiful, natural amphitheater there too. And it's another one of those holes where 
I'm sh- the whole change is so much based on the wind, right? I mean, you could hit driver and cut off as much as you want of that corner. You could kind of lay off and and maybe take the prudent shot as the approach or is hitting like a four iron, a little bit more safer down, right? Um, and then obviously 18 is a hole that's been changed and improved. And you have that big Sahara bunker on the left. Um, I think that this finishing stretch is, you know, as good as it gets. And I say that having criticisms of the 16th hole, but, um, 17 might be one of my favorite holes on the course. And it, it kind of is just such a, it's such a perfect way, in my opinion, to kind of end the round. Uh, yeah. Uh, I would agree wholeheartedly. I, th- I think in in my book, I I pick seventeen as my favorite hole. Yeah. Because, I mean, uh, the interesting thing, just just to try and describe sixteen to your listeners, sixteen is like a really it's a right hang right angle dogleg. You're playing from the tee beside the beach. You're hitting straight, pretty much parallel to the beach, and then just suddenly it turns left and goes sharply uphill, up through the dunes. And yes, you can. You have to decide where you're driving to, uh, how much that corner you can you can pick off. And but the second shot, yeah, I, I, I'll give you that. It's it's you're just hitting straight uphill. You don't really have to do much more than that. Seventeen is kind of the polar opposite. You're hitting downhill, but you're still going dogleg sharply left. So uh, it's it's a peach of a driving hole, and you can imagine that there are so many photographs taken there. Caddy's being asked, okay, stand on the front of the grid of the tee box, ocean behind, fairway disappearing into the distance below you. Take that shot. And then you hit your balls wherever you're going, because you can go, you can go so far left, you're in trouble. You have to favor the right hand side. Fairway can be kind to you. It'll kick your ball back a little bit. And then as you as you pointed out, playing into that green bliss. Unbelievable. Anything else, Kevin, you've been incredibly generous with your time. Anything else you want to touch on, on Bally Bunyan before uh, we send you out of here? I got one or two final quick hitting questions for you just on Ireland in general, but uh, anything else on on the 18th? um, You know, you say it has been improved. It is, it's a difficult hole to, to like. I think a lot of people don't like it. You're hitting up the hill. You've got the big Sahara bunker, which is obviously fairly new. And then the green is tucked up into this little wedge of dunes. I mean, personally, again, I like it. I mean, it it suits my draw, uh, as do 16 and 17. So I actually quite like the hole, but a lot of people don't. And, you know, I I talked earlier about four and five being the two holes that people pull out and go, that's where the weakness is. 16 doesn't get mentioned very often, but I would agree with you that it's not one of, it's probably the least impressive hole in the back nine. And 18, yeah, it's a little bit of chalk and cheese. You either like it or you don't. Interesting contrast with Lahench too, because Lahench, you have this really gentle finisher, whereas Bally Bunny is such a tough finisher. Which do you typically tend to respond to more? A finishing like easy par five where you know you're really ending your round on this high note with a scoring opportunity or a big strong par four finisher depends on the day and how i've played (laughs) Uh, i think uh i mean obviously any day that you can finish on a par five and you got a chance of getting home in two 
yeah, you, that's that's nice because at the end of the, whether you play really well, you can go okay. I can finish in a blaze of glory. Whether you play badly, you can go well. At least I can make something happen on the last. Whereas Bally Bunyan, you know, you do need a very very good second shot to get in, get up there. And I think yeah, I, I go for the par five most days. All right, I want to get you out of here on this. Uh, if somebody's listening to this podcast and they're hopefully planning a trip to Ireland. Um, give a, what would be the five that they have to hit? If the, if you say they have a, they have a week here, what, what would be, what would be kind of the dream itinerary? If you're, if an American has six, seven days in Ireland and you know, they get five to six days of golf, where would you send them? Okay. First question I have to ask you there is, do you want to fill a bucket list? Or do you want to play something that is, let's just say, off the beaten path, but utterly spectacular? I want to mix, maybe a little bit of mix. So, like, for example, you know, we did Bally Bunyan three times and Tralee three times. I don't think you would need to do that, right? If I was recommending to someone, I would say, hey, maybe drop one of the Bally Bunyan rounds and go up to dukes or something like that right which is one that we wanted to hit but we didn't hit so i would say whatever you think is the best mix that kind of encapsulates the experience <laughs> okay um and again you got to consider driving right yes so i would uh fly to dublin i would get in a car and i would drive straight to Enniscrone. Mm. and i would play Enniscrone. then i would go over and play Carn. these are these are two of my top favorite hot uh, courses enormous dunes you think bally bunyan's got big dunes go to Carn um or enniscrum uh those would be the two that i'd, I'd start with those two karn's got 27 holes so i would play enniscrum one day i'd go to Carn. i'd play 18 there then i'd play the other 18 as in you play the set one nine twice and from there i think you'd have to have a pretty long drive, get down to Ballybunion because Ballybunion is, is always there for me. I love Lahinch, don't get me wrong, but Ballybunion is the one that I would play if I was given the choice. And from there, well, you know, that's sort of three, four, three and a half rounds, four rounds. I would struggle to decide where to go next. And I would well, probably. Tralee is close to Ballybunion. You could do Ballybunion and Tralee in the same day. Tralee. There's a, I mean, as much as there is a uh, debate as to which is better between Ballybunion and Lahinch, there is a similar debate between Ballybunion and Tralee as to uh. which is more stunning. I mean, Tralee, the front nine is really good, but maybe a little weak in places, whereas the back nine is sensational and you've got those incredible par threes. Oh, yeah. So I, I would go there. And the only alternative, I would pick would be old head. Now, if your listeners have, have played old head or heard about old head and know much about it, it gets a lot of criticism for its design because it's a little bit, well, it's quite American parkland in design. Right. Uh, but then you're sticking those holes on the edge of cliffs, 300 foot drop down to the Atlantic. Uh, that is drama of the highest order. It's perhaps maybe not the most Irish of experiences, but it is a sensational golf experience. 
Waterville? Would you sneak Waterville in there too? Yeah, I'd sneak Waterville in. I mean, again, that would be probably top five or six for me. Yeah. Um, and Tom Doak's creation at Rossapena is just out of this world. It blew me away when I played it last year. Kevin Markham, everyone. Kevin, where can some of the listeners read your work and and find your photography and everything? Give give a little plug of everything you got going on. Well, my website for photography is kevinmarkhamphotography.com. My books are sadly coming to the end of their print, and the publisher has decided, quite erroneously in my opinion, to (laughs) not reprint. So uh, I'm working on that. But uh, try irishgolfer.ie is the website. These are guys I work with, or destinationgolf.travel. Kevin, I will. Uh, Ireland is a place that I will return to, hopefully for the rest of my life. Um, so I will absolutely let you know next time I'm around, and hopefully we can get around him. But thank you so much again for joining me. This was a blast. I could talk to you about this for hours. I mean, we'd even get to Waterville and Truly, but it, I guess it just means we'll have to do it again sometime. Yeah, we can we can compare those two too. <laughs> thanks again, Kevin. Andy, thanks very much. All right, that is it for the podcast. Special thanks to rickrungoods.com. Special thanks to Kevin Markham. And we will be back next week for the CJ Cup and a whole bunch of fun banding content coming down the pike as well. Until then, best of luck with your bets this week. Cheers. If I ventured in the slipstream Between the viaducts of your dream Where my world still runs crack Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.